0: And I said, and if you kill yourself, if you succeed in taking your life, I said, you will solve all your problems and you will blow a hole in our lives so big, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to fill it and we will never succeed.
1: Welcome to Zestful Aging where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark big or small is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and deep contentment. Zestful Aging is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our lovely music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her on JudyBanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now we're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as always, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. He's pretty tired. We just had a great hike. And we have a great interview for you today. If you would have told me that I would be interviewing our next guest, a woman I knew casually in the 80s, I would have thought you were crazy. But her recent article in the New York Times allowed us to reconnect, and it's been a lovely opportunity to get to know her all over again. Debbie Waldman is a writer, editor, author, and an expat American who's lived in Edmonton, Alberta. since 1992. We were knitting buddies in New Haven, Connecticut in the mid-1980s when she was a newspaper reporter there, but we lost touch until recently when a mutual friend sent me her New York Times essay how COVID-19 and power tools helped heal my relationship with my son. The essay is in part about how the pandemic gave her a chance to pursue a long time dream to learn woodworking, but it's also about another step in her journey to understand and to come to grips with her family's legacy of mental illness. And she's recently completed a draft of a memoir about the effects of the secrets and silence that surrounded the suicide of her father a reform rabbi when debbie was 13 now, although the stigma has uh, about mental health is still being addressed it's obviously still a sensitive subject so trigger warning welcome to the show debbie Thank you so much, Nicole. It's great (laughs) to be here with you. This is so interesting and lovely and slightly, I don't know, would you say just so kind of bizarre? Yeah, it's just, it's really weird. Like we... Surreal. We had
0: lost touch and, but your name was so familiar to me when you reached out about the essay. And I was like, oh my God, this is, (laughs) it was just, it's been really fun going down Down memory lane, it's it's
1: and it's such a blast from the past. And the thing that I didn't mention in the intro was that the friend Rebecca, I didn't even know you were friends with her. Yeah, so that's like the double a double strange super duper
0: coincidence. Yeah, because we neither of us knew her at the time, right? Like she hadn't come into either of our lives at that point. Oh
1: my goodness! But we did have a common friend, Marta. Yeah, um, but Marta you know, I did not hear from her about the article. So I'm imagining that there's been a, it's been pretty wonderful to have this piece of writing in the New York Times, certainly a, a, a goal for, I think, every writer. Tell me about your decision to write so openly about your son's severe depression and, and suicidality. So
0: I'll tell you, first, I'm, I'm just gonna say one thing. He did, he was dealing with severe depression and suicidality. We don't think about that, about it that way anymore. Like he's, as far as I can see, he's not dealing with it anymore. He's Mm -hmm. so much, I worry about it, I think, because I'm going to worry about it for the rest of my life, but he just seems so much better and he's, he, he, he is better. I mean, he's, he's coping so much better. You wouldn't know that he had gone through that and he doesn't deny it and he doesn't poo poo it but Mm -hmm. I think I focus on it in some ways more than he does I think part of it is because he's 23 it happened when he was 20 and um and I'm not sure I'm sure he hasn't processed it entirely I mean I I realize I'm processing things that happened to me when I was 13 still you know and I think we process things for the rest of our lives so I think Mm -hmm. um so I just wanted I wanted to sort of clarify that that I couldn't I would not have written about it if he was still in the midst of it. There's just no way, and that I doesn't see that doesn't mean that I'm denying it and that I'm saying it could never happen again because I'm very well aware that it can happen in the blink of an eye. I don't discount that possibility, but right now I try really hard not to worry all the time, and I'm certainly not not worrying the way I was when it happened. And I know that not just mentally, but physically, because physically, when he was going through this, my stomach was a turmoil for months. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was literally, I was sick every day Mm -hmm. for probably six or seven months. And when my stomach started getting better, I realized, okay, your stomach knows that things are better. So maybe your mind can follow.
1: Oh wow, I so, love that about the body giving such clear signals yep. if we're if we're only you know paying attention. I was,
0: I was very very attuned to that, and and I realized you don't have to be carrying this around. You don't have to be anxious about this all the time because your body will know. And my body still does know. Like if something happens and I'm, I, I have a, I, I know exactly what my physical reactions are. So so I know that it's that I'm upset about something. So I'm, I'm grateful to that. My mother was the same way.
1: So
0: <laughs> she used to say, don't, don't bother me. You're upsetting my stomach. So, although- yeah,
1: well, that's, it's all, that's connected. And we know that's where a lot of the, the mood and the emotional reaction gets I, I- cooked up.
0: A friend of mine said to me, she said, I think we have, I think our brain is in our stomach.
1: Uh-huh. So, yeah. Well, you may have heard it's called the second, it's the second brain. That might be, actually, that might have been, yeah, <laughs> perhaps that was the
0: expression she used. So anyway, but you asked, so you asked, you know, what did, What made me decide to write about it so openly? So what happened was I was writing um, an, an email to a my dad's cousin telling her about how I started doing woodworking and it was really exciting and... And I thought, gee, you know, maybe I could write an essay about how this all came about. And so I, I took the email and put it into a word file and started working on this essay. And at some point I said to Noah, do you mind if I am writing this essay? Would you, do you mind about, you know, you're, you're writing the, you know, working on the canoe and all that? And I said, do you, do you mind if, you know, talk? I think, I think I must've said, do you mind if I mention you're being in the hospital, and he said, no. And so then when I got ready to send it out, I said, have you looked at it yet? And he said, no, it's just about the canoe, right? And I said, no, it's about the canoe, but it's also about, you know, you're being in the hospital. And, and I said, I think I want you to look at it before I send it out. Mm-hmm. And so he looked at it and he said, yeah, sure, you can send it out. And <laughs> so, and what was really interesting about that was when he first went into the hospital, he was very adamant that we not tell anybody and it was a very it was a kind of a weird situation for me because the way it all happened it happened in january of um 2018 it sort of started he was in his I think he was in his third or fourth he was in his fourth year of engineering but he was in a co-op program so technically he was in his third year of classes he had just come off like eight months of co-op programs that he really enjoyed he'd been the second one was four months doing field work and he's, he really likes being out die outside. And, and then when the field work ended, he and his sister went to South America for three weeks and they had a really great time. And it was like mm. sp- springtime in South America and, um, or fall, I guess fall to spring in South America. And then he comes back and school starts in January and it's very, very dark here because we're pretty far North. And, he wasn't even sure he wanted to be in engineering and he wasn't sure he wanted to do another co-op and he was having to choose another co-op right away and he came to me and he said i think i need to see a psychiatrist and i said are you feeling are you depressed and he said yes uh, i think he sort of sh- he said yes and i said are you feeling suicidal and he kind of shrugged
1: and uh-huh. at
0: the time my experience with suicide was that if somebody intimates that they're suicidal, you should not talk about it because it might encourage them. Uh I've since learned it's the absolute opposite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If somebody's suicidal, you get them to talk about it and explore it. And that's the way that you can actually try to, to get them to reconsider. But I didn't know that. So I had some friends who were child psychiatrists and I called them and asked them for some advice. And I passed the advice along to him, which was that he should go to the university health center. He was going to university in our town. So he was living at home and, and I, every so often I would follow up and say, have you talked to somebody at the health center? But at the same time, my, my aunt was dying. My last Mm. surviving aunt was dying and my, who I was pretty close to. And my mother was in the late stages of Parkinson's and then she Mm. fell. And so she was dying too. She broke her hip. So all these things were sort of happening at the same time. So I wasn't following up as closely as Mm -hmm. I probably should have.
1: And he's a young adult. Right. And so I think there's always the question, you know, do I let you take responsibility or am I hovering? There's always that tension. Yep. So long
0: story short, he eventually did go to the health center and they were absolutely not helpful at all. And we found out much later that if you want the health center to be helpful, you actually have to tell them that you're suicidal and then they'll get you into see a psychiatrist right away. But if you're like him and you maybe weren't entirely sure how you felt or who you should talk to, he, I guess he told them he didn't really think he, he was feeling that way. And consequently, they made mm. him an appointment with a psychologist. I don't even know if he ever went, but he did go and talk to his own family doctor. I, I said, go make an appointment with your family doctor too, because it's easier. Um, it's easier to get to see a psychiatrist at the university, but if that doesn't work. Anyway, his family doctor gave him antidepressants and then my mother died well, first my aunt died, and then ten days later my mother died, mm. and we flew from Edmonton to Central New York in late February, early March of 2018, when they had the absolute worst ice storm ever mm. in um, like a hundred years. So that was the conditions under which my mother's funeral took place, and it was very traumatic getting there.
1: And how are you getting through this? You're um, worried I, about your your boy. I'm your on mom. fumes. I'm on fumes. So, what does that look like as a mom who also, whose dad committed suicide? So, this is something that you know is real. It can happen, and I, I'm just wondering how you're getting out of bed and, and putting one foot in front of the other. Well, at this point, right
0: when mom died, I didn't know how bad it was for Noah. I really didn't. I, mm-hmm. I didn't. I just I, and 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 part of it I think was that well actually actually I lie I did know I did know because between the we we actually went to see my mother um on her birthday which was February 18th so it was like three weeks after she fell we went to see her and when we came back he and I had this talk if I'd known better I would have brought him to the hospital right away because he said what's the point of living that's what he said
1: Mm mm-hmm
0: and I was trying to, I didn't know that that meant I want to die. Or maybe I didn't want to know that it meant I want to die. And so, wow, I hadn't thought about that. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, so, and it was, he, he asked me that. I think, like, it turned out it was the day before my mom died. It, it, or was it? a day or two days before my mother, no, it was the night before my mother died, we had that conversation. And then she died and everything just sort of, I think that's probably why I forgot about it, is because everything just kind of went crazy because we had to figure out how we were going to have the funeral because my mother had to be flown from Milwaukee where she was living near my sister. She had to be flown to Utica and mm-hmm. she, was, she donated her brain to a research program at UMass or Harvard Medical School. So, her brain had to be dealt with before she could get on the plane i mean it was all these logistics all these logistics that got in the way of thinking about anything else and so we got back home um my husband and noah flew back home on the day after the funeral which was a saturday my daughter and i stuck around new york for a few days we didn't go back until wednesday night and on saturday my niece my sister's middle daughter who lives in alberta the same province that i do she lives in calgary which is about three hours away she drove up for my mother's memorial service. We were having a memorial service with my mom here in Edmonton, because so many people had met my mom and we were having it at the synagogue. And it was on a Sunday. It was gonna be Sunday afternoon. So Saturday night, my niece comes into the living room and she said to me, Hey, can I have the keys to the van, Noah? And I want to go for a ride. And it was like ten o'clock at night, and I was like, Oh, they must want to go to a coffee shop or something, right? So we gave her the keys and then my husband and I went to bed. We didn't think anything of the fact that they hadn't come back. I thought it was a little weird, but I was like, eh, I guess they're just having a nice talk. She came into a room the next morning, Sunday at like eight o'clock, and she said, I just want you to know that Noah's, I, I brought Noah to the hospital last night. I determined that he was a danger to himself. Um, His friend is with him. I could only stay there till three in the morning because I had to come home and go to sleep because she was pregnant. So she was tired and she said, so his friend John is there with him and he's waiting for a psych consult. And I hope you're not mad at me. We're like, <laughs> I, 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 uh-huh. I was just like... No, why would be mad at you but Mm. oh my god Mm -hmm. like now what do we do right Mm -hmm. and we were having this memorial service that afternoon and and there were like a hundred people were coming to this memorial service and so dave my husband went to the hospital and he stayed with noah waiting for the psych consult and my daughter and i and my niece were at the memorial service and i was up there with our rabbi and i I told her what was going on but we hadn't told anybody else and i could barely get through anything. I could, and I was just breaking down and everybody thought I was crying because I missed my Mm, mother, mm, but I wasn't mm. even thinking about my mother. Right. Mm, I was just thinking, I I can't believe this is happening. Like I really can't. And I kept thinking, well, they'll, they'll just send him home. They'll, I mean, I was in such denial. Right. And, and we told a few people after the service, we told his grandparents, my husband's parents, we told one of his best friends who was there, who actually turned out to be along with the friend who had sat with him at the hospital, the the most wonderful friends Mm -hmm. you could ever imagine both to him and to us because during the time that he was in the hospital, they were, they were in touch with him constantly and he would tell them things he wouldn't tell us. And so they would say to us, he wants to get out of the hospital, but you can't let him get out of the hospital.
1: Uh Aha. He was like a link. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They were, they were amazing because they, they, you know, they were his friends and they were really worried about him. And yeah. anyway, so, yeah, he, so we, we didn't tell, we didn't tell too many people, but we had to tell some people because people were coming up to us and saying, where's Noah? Where's Dave? Oh. Why aren't they here? Oh my goodness. You know, cause we were in this really public situation, right? <laughs> and it, why wouldn't they be there? And so Elizabeth, my daughter, God bless her. She was, um, I guess she would have been 22 at the time. She said, she made a little white lie. She said, they have the man flu. Because we kind of didn't really know what was going on at the time, right? But also, yeah, there's that stigma. But mm-hmm. for me, it was really, I I didn't want to tell people where he was. Because I it was still so new and horrible. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. I hadn't got my own head around it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't want to lie to people. Because I was lied to by my mother for so long. And by my mm-hmm. community,
1: right? So... There was that whole thing. <laughs> um, so you're dealing with the reality, the current reality at that time of Noah needing to be in the hospital for his own safety, but also the past reality of knowing that this could end very badly. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely. and I, and, and I remember
0: I remember that Sunday, Late in the afternoon, they determined that there was a bed for him in the young adult unit at the psychiatric hospital in our city, and they brought him there in an ambulance. Um, my husband and I went up and met him there. We brought a bunch of his belongings, you know, because we didn't know how long he was going to be there. But I kept thinking, oh, well, the two of us, we were in such denial, like, oh, we'll only be there for a couple of days. <coughs> he was there for three months. He was mm-hmm. in the hospital for three months. They do not keep you in the hospital for three months if it's Indeed. just a little... You know, That's right. Nothing. That's so um anyway one of the nurses showed us was showing us around the unit that night my husband and I and it hit me. I thought I could be that person who loses two of the most important men in her life to suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm. I am not going to be that person. There is no way on God's green earth that I am going to be that person. Mm. I had no idea how I was not going to be that person,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: I just thought, Your I, resolve. I, I could not live with, I, 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 that's just, that's not tenable. That's mm-hmm. just, that's completely unacceptable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but I also was very well aware that there's nothing you can do if somebody's made their mind up, yes. right? Yes. So anyway, that is my very long way of saying, of answering your question of what was I thinking when I sat down to write that Mm -hmm. um, essay. I was thinking about how when Noah went into the hospital and even before that, because our relationship had changed a lot, you know, when he was a little, well, you don't know this, but when he was a little (laughs) kid, he was just like the most outgoing, chatty, friendly, happy kid. And then the fall before he turned 12, he had this massive growth spurt, and, mm-hmm. and um, and his voice changed. Like before he turned twelve, his voice changed, which has to be kind of weird, and um, and then his personality changed, and he kind of went from being this really happy, chatty, outgoing kid to like really sullen and.
1: So that's middle school. Yep. Yeah. Which is pretty much you know uh, has a special place in hell for most of us. And I didn't know because I, mm. I mean, I grew up with a
0: sister. I didn't, you know, didn't really that was the age when my dad died so i wasn't paying attention to what mm. other boys were be how other boys were behaving right like i right and so so this and i, and I remember talking to my friends when noah went through that and saying like oh, when, when am i going to get my boy back when am i going to get my boy back and they're like oh it's just a phase he'll grow out of it but you know and by the time i would say he finished high school you know he was which was what 5 years later he was things were, he was, he was, you know, a little bit more interactive, but still he, he, he never, he never turned back into that happy-go-lucky chatty person. And I never felt that connection with him. I didn't feel that connection that I'd had before. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, and then after this whole horrible experience with him being in the hospital, I realized, okay, you might never get that connection with him again. You should just be grateful that he's alive and happy and values life and has found something that he wants to do and has friends. And, I mean, he always had friends, but like, I just thought, just be grateful for what you have and I stop see. stop expecting things to
1: go back to the way they are. Don't ask for too much. Was yep. he different with your husband? Was it a turning away from mom, or was it? just a turning away I think it was a turning I think it was more of
0: a turning away from both of us mm-hmm. um, he, he was always he's always had a really good relationship with his sister but 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 even she noticed a difference right like it, especially when he was you know in junior high and high school but after I guess we bonded over things like we, we would play Scrabble together and mm-hmm. we'd play board games and that was fun but it but it was never like such a natural there wasn't that real connection, like a shared passion, right? Mm. Whereas I think when he was little, the shared passion was conversation because I like to talk and my husband's not that talkative. My daughter isn't quite as talkative and I'll, you know, I don't whatever. It just, I I missed his little chattiness, right? Mm. My daughter also, I should say, she's hard of hearing. So that was part of the reason she wasn't as talk. I mean, she does really great with hearing aids, but she's always been sort of more reserved Mm -hmm. and Noah's always been more of an extrovert. Then when the pandemic hit, he was in his last semester of engineering because he'd gone back into engineering and he he had a job lined up for when he graduated and it was supposed to start in the beginning of May. And so he was going to have two weeks between the ends of classes and when he started his new job and he was going to move to Calgary and he was going to live in a, his uncle's house down there and he bought a car and everything was... And then the pandemic hits and in the middle of April, his... Future employers call and they say, okay, the job's not starting until the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. And he said, ugh, now I have six weeks with nothing to do. And he's not somebody who doesn't like to have anything to do. And so I was a little worried. I was like, uh oh, if he doesn't have anything to do, the depression might creep back in, right? I see. So I said, well, you know, why don't you build that canoe you've been thinking about? Because <laughs> One, one of the things that he did when he was in the hospital, I guess, was he made a whole list of things that he wanted to do with his life. And one of them was to build a canoe. And mm-hmm. we, we, we bought him this book, or maybe he bought the book, but like canoe building. And um, so the first summer he got out of the hospital, obviously there was not going to be a canoe built. That was all about like just getting your feet back on the ground. Basics. And the second summer he had a girlfriend and they went on this big three month trip. So there, when, when he came back, he started a summer job. And so there was no time to build a canoe. And so I said, well, you got six weeks. Why don't you build that canoe? And he said, well, I'd need tools and I don't have any. And I said, well, we haven't bought you a graduation present yet. So what do you need for tools? And so he made a list of what he needed and his friends had some tools. And then he made a list of the supplies he needed and he went off and he bought all the supplies and then his friends came over and they made all these work tables and they started building mm. this canoe in the garage and it was really kind of cool. And because it was, it was, um, this was like the middle and of April. And you are
1: a hardcore crafter, Debbie. So okay. I can imagine you were looking on with... Oh, I was uh, so excited. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like my, when I was a kid, when I was in junior high school, I wanted to take
0: industrial arts or shop <laughs> class in the worst way. But girls weren't allowed. This was right. like, the mid 1970s and girls were, so we had to take home economics. And, right. and then I think... I, I think even in high school, I can't remember if I if I even tried. I just thought, okay, forget it. It's hopeless. I'm never going to get to learn how to do anything with, you know. So I can, you know, I know how to put a hammer to a nail, right? But here is this amazing thing happening in my garage. And so I would go out all the time. And if there was something I could do to help, I would help. And and uh, and, and that included <laughs> you were like, You were craft stalking. I was craft, exactly. And I would make them food and everything. And one day I went out there and they were starting th- – th- they had they'd made the paddles, which didn't look anything like what they look like now, but they were pieces of wood glued together. That was the term I used. I now know the proper term is laminating. They laminated different kinds of wood together and they were beautiful. And they looked like this cutting board that my cousin had made for a wedding present for me and my husband. And um, he, he's a shop teacher in Houston, outside Houston. And he made cutting boards for, I guess, all of his cousins. And it was the most beautiful cutting board and I, ever since that cutting board, whenever I've seen laminated wood, like I just I sort of gravitate toward it. And I've always mm-hmm. wanted to be able to make something like that. And I said to Noah, Hey, do you think you could help me make a cutting board like the panel? And he said, sure. So he helped me figure out what kind of wood. And we, we cut the wood and then I glued the wood and I got, I was all excited. And then I was like, oh, it didn't stick together very well. There's like little gaps in here. And so, I called my cousin. I said, you know, what, what do I do? And he said, you're probably gonna have to take it apart and plane it. And Noah had this hand planer, which is, it's this thing with a, a sharp edge. And... It's kind of
1: like a mandolin yes, for the kitchen. For the, yes, yeah. but, but it's for wood. And yes. like he and
0: his friends, they planed four paddles by hand. And of course they're like young guys in their early twenties. They're really strong. So, right. you know, it, it looks just basically like they're shaving paper. Right. But when I started doing it, I was <laughs> it's like, it's hard. This oh. is not plywood. <laughs> this is not easy. Right. I was like, yeah. I thought, this could take five years. And I don't, this is not what I want to spend five years doing. And so I said to my cousin, like, is there some other way to do this? And he said, well, you could get like an electric planer. So, or a power planer. Right. So we started looking at power tools. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to spend all that money to. Fix one thing, so one night these friends of mine came over and I was we were showing them the canoe and I was showing them the cutting boards and I said I don't know what I'm gonna do like it had gotten to the point I should say before these friends came over it had gotten to the point where I'd be walking down our, our alley because in where in our neighborhood everybody everybody's garages are behind the house so you have a common you have an alley with garages on either side and Ah. i'd be walking down the alley and i'd see people with their power tools out in their their driveway and i'd be like is that a planer and they'd be like no it's a saw which goes (laughs) to show you how little i understood about tools six months ago but anyway so i i tried like i tried asking the neighbors um so then these other friends came over as i said and they were looking they, they looked at the canoe and they looked at the cutting boards and i was whining to peter and i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do and peter said oh I have all these power tools I have a planer and I have a jointer in my shop and I never use them you can come over and use them whenever you want oh. and then he gave us the key he's a, he uh, He makes heating equipment for the oil fields and um, he bought a foundry a, a couple of years ago and the foundry came with all these tools and he doesn't use the tools but he has them in his shop and so oh he gave us the key to the shop and, <gasps> and I went over there and, and the power planer I mean you basically <laughs> it's like Narnia yeah, you, you put you put the piece of you know you put the the um, cutting board in. You sort of adjust the height for the blade, oh. and then it makes a really loud noise, and it spits it out the other end, and it's all cleaned up. And I was like, "Wow, this is great!" So we started, and plus he had he had this this. Really flat table, so we could we could glue things on the table. So we started going there like all the time, and it was we were just having like the best time. And I was and making so, all these
1: cutting boards. And what did Noah say when you said, "Guess what? I've got the key." Oh, he was psyched. To a magical he place. Was, he was psyched. You know what? He's like, I, 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 you would
0: not believe what's going on in our lives right now. Okay, so so we've made a ton of cutting boards. Um, he has made okay in the last just the like last couple of weeks. He's made a a, a night a really cool night table, and he's putting drawers in it. He's making oh, two drawer wow. units for his desk. He made a desk, um, and <laughs> he and his one of his friends are making a, a really cool table that they... they um, it's a live edge table, and it's called a river table, so... Where what would be the water is actually epoxy, so it looks like there's like river running down the middle of the table. Um, he made a ladder, a blanket ladder to hang his his blankets on. Oh my I, I mean,
1: goodness! And and
0: we're we're gonna make um, menorahs. We we started making menorahs like out oh of wood. My we just had to goodness. figure out how we laminate them so that um and and coat them so that the wood won't burn.
1: Burn. Hello, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a product I've been using lately for aches and pains that's really helped me, and I've been singing it from the rooftops. Some of you may already have discovered the benefits of using CBD. I have found it to be a game changer for my creaky joints. I'm a tennis player, and I have three dogs, and being active is really important to me, and we know how important it is in aging well. But at age 59, my joints can be a bit stiff, uh, especially in my knees. And this stuff has really helped, so I don't have to wear a knee brace anymore, which really wasn't such a good look. I've done my research and it's very important to get the highest quality ingredients. There's a lot of junk on the market. So you have to make sure the product is tested by a third party lab at the very least. My favorite company is called Proze P-R-O-Z-E. And they have several products that are formulated for specific problems, including sleep and mental focus. Uh, lately, I've been using the performance gum called Yippies and the Nods, which helps me sleep and tastes very cinnamony. If you go to their website, pros.com, and enter the coupon code ZESTFUL, you're going to get 15% off. I highly recommend trying it out. I think you're really going to be surprised how effective it is, and I would love some feedback from you on how it works. Again, the website PROSE, P-R-O-Z-E.com. Coupon code is ZESTFUL. Thank you. Now back to the show. Yeah. So how much of the crafting is responsible for keeping Noah stable?
0: Well, I think Noah was really stable before this, I I, mm-hmm. I dare say, if I may go out on a limb, I think he's been doing really well. And I think a big part of that, I think part of it's the medication. And I think another really big part of it is that we really impressed upon him that he did not have to be perfect, because that's where this was all coming from. He's always been somebody we didn't quite realize how hard he was driving himself because he makes it all look easy. But his first three years of um, engineering, he... His lowest grade was an A-, and I think he only had it once. But he never oh, looked like he was wow. working that hard, but he mm-hmm. was working because he always had time to do stuff with, go out with his friends and have a part-time job, but he put a whole lot of pressure on himself to be perfect, and we didn't realize that, and we didn't realize how we were contributing to that. And um,
1: and contributing meaning what? Like recognizing that he was a bright kid? Yeah, like praising him to, praising. And, and, and saying, oh, you're, oh, we're so proud of you, you're doing so well, and
0: I think in his head, he heard that as, I got to keep doing well. I got to keep doing well. If I don't keep doing well, you know, I won't be good and I won't be perfect and they won't praise me anymore. And,
1: but the truth is now mom has a, a a big piece in the New York Times and dad's a...
0: Yeah, a professor uh, with like, uh, like one of the most highly cited professors in the world, actually, like the 167th uh-huh. most cited scientist. So, in, so whatever.
1: H- how do you <laughs> say, don't worry, we are so accomplished but you can just be whoever you are I mean how does that have because how does that ring true well, to a, a well, child
0: y- you, you you remind them and you tell them often of your failures you remind mm. them that you that this did not happen overnight and mm. that you have failures all the time and you then they see your failures right like and 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 I think I didn't realize how he was hearing things I guess because I've never thought of myself as like that accomplished. I've always thought like, I, I wish I could do better. I wish I was better at this. I wish I was, you know, thinner. I wish I could, I wish I could be better at math and science. <laughs> um, so I've, I've certainly never thought of myself as, as that, you know, outstanding. And I just think of myself as somebody who's worked really, really hard. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm smart, but I I think in many ways, Noah's smarter than I am. I mean, he's, he's, he he's pretty, he's a pretty exceptional Human being, but what we had to impress upon him over and over again was you don't have to be perfect, you just have to be alive uh-huh. the most the most important thing is 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 that that you're alive and and it's okay to make mistakes because everyone makes mistakes, nobody's perfect the The most important thing is that you try hard and and I've said this to him so many times and to his sister too. You guys work really hard. everybody knows that you put in the effort you're you're the kind of people that people want to hire because mm. you take pride in your work but it's okay if you make a mistake and and I have to say when he started working because eventually that job that he secured back in February that was put off till the beginning of June was cancelled altogether. It was field work for an inch big engineering uh, firm that does a lot of construction and the pandemic killed all their work so. Uh-huh. or that he was supposed to be working on he within two weeks he had been offered a part-time job with a professor who he had uh, worked with earlier and then a full-time job with a it was a better job it was a, a with an engineering project management firm a- and it was great it was a better job than the one he'd initially been offered because it it was a salaried job with benefits and you know the opportunity to move up and doing the kind of work that he liked but he was working from home and the first few weeks, he kept coming downstairs to me and saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really bad at this. I like this. And, mm. and I said, no, it's your first week at work. They don't expect you to know everything, right? Uh-huh. And and well. I had to keep reminding him of that. And he doesn't come downstairs and say that very much anymore. He, he could come downstairs and just say, uh, it's kind of a slow day. but
1: And some of it, it's hard to know what is the result of growing up in a family who is parents are highly educated, highly successful people, but also some of the depression may have had obsessive compulsive features, right? And so, yes. And you know what? I got (laughs) to say,
0: I've written this other essay that I'm still trying to figure out, find a home for, and it's, it's really about how my experience working with somebody who had done a lot of research into the area of hope. In the process of writing that essay, I looked for the first time at the connection between my dad and Noah and me and sort of the through line between the three of us. And that through line is this form of an obs- we get obsessed with things and we have to fix things right away and we have to make things perfect right away and we can't mm-hmm. let something go. And I remember... My mom, after my dad died, my mom used to say to me all the time, you, you're so much like your father. You know, you have your father's sense of humor and you look like your father. And, of course, I, I ate that up, right? But the other thing that she would say, which I also ate up because I ate up anything when she compared me to my father because she just thought my father was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Which, Aww. I mean, he was a wonderful person. But, you know, he had some flaws and I wish that I had been more aware of that. But she said to me, I, I, "If I if I lost a pen, right, I would have to find that pen right away like Mm -hmm. nothing could life could not go on until I found that pen or if my watch died I would have to get a new battery right away
1: and it's so it's like this fine line and I remember when I when we knew each other I was working at Yale and what they used to say is when you're doing research or research assistant work as I was OCD is a welcome trait. We want detail-oriented yes, workers. Yes, we want you yes. to be careful. That's what uh, quality is about—is attention to detail. But boy, that can flip over pretty quickly when it starts bossing you around. And right? that's
0: exactly what the conclusion of the second psychiatrist you know was saw at the hospital because he wound up. He had two separate stays in the hospital. Like a, he was out of the hospital for a few days in I guess it was April, the end of April, he was out of the hospital for a few days. But when he went back in, they put him in a different unit and he had a different psychiatrist. And that's what those psychiatrists concluded. The first psychiatrist concluded he was in a, had a major depressive disorder. A second psychiatrist concluded that he had obsessive compulsive tendencies. And she said, you know, those have held him in good stead mm-hmm. all along. She mm-hmm. said, but they basically tipped over into male adapt. They're not they're no longer helpful. Mm -hmm. They've become maladaptive Mm -hmm. and we've got Mm -hmm. to get him back on track so that he can, you know, use that because that's exactly, exactly what you just said. Like those obsessive compulsive tendencies are what, what lead us to, to perform well. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the point, as you said, where they're ruling you and instead of you ruling them, that's and. God, you know, I don't I don't know if you saw this. Does, can I go off
1: on a tangent? Is that okay? Or is this... oh, ta- I, I'm famous for my tangents. Okay, so. So I have to let you go on your shore. <laughs> okay, so there is an article in the Washington Post
0: about a week or so ago about this Congress, uh, the son of a congressman from Maryland who was 25 years old and killed himself. Mm. And he was apparently like this incredibly wonderful kid. He mm. did all this work for the poor and. And his parents he was the greatest kid ever and he went he went to heart he was in his second year of Harvard Law School mm-hmm. but he was suffering from depression and his parent he he actually left a note and then the, the notes, said, you know, I'm so sorry the illness has gotten the better of me. Oh
1: my god. And I
0: read the article and and I my heart broke because I thought this is a kid who thought he had to be perfect. And even in the article nobody was acknowledging that. Nobody was acknowledging that because they were so proud of him because he was so perfect Mm -hmm. but i think it's so so important that we tell our kids you don't have to be perfect you just Mm -hmm. have to do the best that you can if it's not perfect and if you make a mistake you have to forgive yourself because life goes on right Mm -hmm. but if you end your life well you've solved all your problems Mm -hmm. and you've created a world of hurt for the people who love you
1: And- what is that the advice that you would give Debbie parents and particularly moms? This show is most of our listeners are uh, middle-aged, uh, post-middle-aged women, probably have kids. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, how, what are the words that you can offer if they are dealing with their adult children who this sounds familiar remind more. them of what they do that's
0: good. remind them that they've had successes. remind them that it's okay to fail. Tell them of stories where you failed and you managed to get yourself back on track again mm-hmm. and and tell them how much you love them. Well I'll just I'll just tell you this I'll tell you this story so Noah got out of the hospital at the end after six weeks and on a Friday, and he tried to hang himself on Monday, but only after practicing on Sunday. Cause you know, that's the kind of kid that he was. Mm-hmm. So, um, he had to go back into the hospital again, but this time there were no beds. So he was in an emergency room for two nights waiting for a new bed oh my and goodness. we would go and spend the day with him at the emergency room. Cause otherwise he was just and literally, he didn't even have a room in the emergency room. He was in a, a hallway where they kept all the psychiatric patients so they could keep an eye on them. And he was at the front of the hallway, okay? Because he was at the most risk, right? He had this special place in the hallway. So the second day that he was in the hospital, we were sitting outside um, in a garden. Well, it was grassy. I wouldn't really call it a garden. It was outside the cafeteria. It was, it was early spring, so it was kind of ugly. And we were sitting on this picnic bench. And... I realized that I had to go out on a limb. And by this time, I had taken at least one suicide. I think I'd taken um, a, suicide, a mental health first aid course with my daughter. So I knew mm-hmm. it was okay to talk to people about suicide.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, and I said to him, I have to tell you something. Um, I said, because if I don't say this now, and God forbid you die before I do, I don't want that to happen before I say this. And I said, I love you. And he hated hearing that. Mm. Um, and he said, I know you don't have to say it. And I said, no, I do. I think that's when I said I do, because if I, I just, I said, I said, I do have to say that. And I said, and if you kill yourself, if you succeed in taking your life, I said you will solve all your problems and you will blow a hole in our lives so big, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to fill it and we will never succeed. Mm
1: -hmm. We won't be able to heal from that. And I, he put his arm
0: around me and he pulled me close to him and it was just the most, it was, it was, it was the hardest thing to say, but I had to say it because you know what? I didn't know my dad was planning to kill himself. My mother, my mother had a pretty good inkling that he was. One of the things that's haunted me my entire life was I don't remember if I told him I loved him the last time I saw him when he mm-hmm. dropped me off at school. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, if you're going to choose to kill yourself, I want you to know that I love you. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't make it any easier, but at least I said that, right? I let him know. And, and I'd like to, and my daughter, she said to me. Because sometimes she gets, you know, everybody gets depressed, right? Everybody mm. has times when they feel really, really bleak.
1: Mm. Um,
0: it's it's different when you can talk yourself out of it than when your brain is so twisted around that you need
1: yes
0: a lot more help, right? But so when my daughter has gotten really depressed, she said to me, don't worry, mom, I'll never kill myself.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> I would never do that to you, she says. Mm. So... But then again, you're supposed to never say never. And, and you know, I, I I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I mean, I, I hope Noah's going to be healthy for the rest of his life. I hope we all will be. But I hope that if something like what happened three years ago happens again, he'll know to get help. And I, I and he'll have people around him who will do their best to ensure that he gets help. I mean, the scariest thing about, I think, you asked me, what would I say to parents? I think the scariest thing is when you think your kids don't hear you. And I, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know if Noah was hearing us for the longest time and you feel so helpless.
1: Mm -hmm. Tell, talk about the mental health first aid. Uh, Can you just, uh, yeah, we took this,
0: we have this, um, we have all these different first aid courses offered by, it's called the St. John's ambulance. I don't know if everyone's city has one or not, but my daughter found out about this course and it was when Noah was in the hospital the first time. And she said, I'm signing us up for this course. Uh, yeah. And it was really interesting. So they talked a lot about, you know, m- what causes mental health issues, all the different sort of mental, the common mental health diagnoses, um, what you can do um, if you're in a situation with somebody's having a mental health um, crisis. Like, mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the thing that really stuck with me was that when somebody is feeling suicidal, you're supposed to talk to them about it. And as somebody who grew up thinking that suicide was a radioactive topic, that was, that was mind blowing to me. I was like, "Will you're supposed to talk to people about it. And, and I should say it was Elizabeth, my daughter who, um, saw these ligature marks on Noah's neck when he tried to, because he had stopped himself, um, from hanging himself that second. She saw these marks on his neck and she said, she was, the two of them were together. And she said, what's that on your neck? And he said, it's from shaving. And, his grandfather was there and his grandfather, Elizabeth was like, well, I didn't think they were from shaving, but I don't know. I don't shave. Mm-hmm. And his grandfather was there, my husband's father. And he said, oh, come on, Noah, that's not from shaving. And Elizabeth said, do you want to tell us what happened? And he said, I'll tell you. And so he told her and she said, you have to go back to the hospital. And he said, I don't mm-hmm. want to go back to the hospital. And she said, you have to go back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the thing of it was, if it had been me, I don't think I could have called the hospital. She did. She, she knew exactly what to do. God, mm-hmm. God bless her. Cause I, I mean, with everything I know, I still it just, I don't claim to be an expert. I sure as heck hope I'm not coming off as being one. Cause I, I, am not, I'm just, mm-hmm. I just a, a mother who had a son who wanted to kill himself and I'm the daughter of somebody who did kill himself. So that's where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. you know, cause I don't think really anybody's an expert. I, I certainly learned the The psychiatrist, it's very much a trial and error kind of thing, and I think we're really blessed that we were so blessed that Noah finally got the help he needed.
1: Mm-hmm. It was it took a while. Oh, it, uh, the way you described it, <laughs> the, the first time around was not impressive. No, no,
0: no, I don't think the psychiatrist there. I think he was a by the numbers kind of guy. On the other hand, the first time around, Noah was in a unit with people his own age, and he made some really nice friends there, like ah. who he's still friends with, like p- people who I just I feel so maternal toward because Hmm. and and close to because they went through what they went through with my son and they're really kind caring people and I I feel this weird sense of responsibility toward them so anyway
1: it's such an important subject and I think especially now because I'm imagining that we're gonna face mental health crises like we have never seen before.
0: Yeah. 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 It it's it's gonna be overwhelming and people are going to have to be really understanding. They really, really are. I mean, this is what's happening around the world right now. So there's there's the pandemic itself, which is mm-hmm. pretty terrifying, like mm-hmm. never knowing am I gonna get it and if I get it, what's gonna to happen to me? Mm-hmm. Um there's the You lose somebody to the pandemic and you can't mourn properly because Mm. we can't be together. There's all the businesses that are having to shut down. And then once the pandemic is finally over and people are healthy, then we're going to have to deal with the wreckage from it. Right. That's
1: right. And as we're talking right now, they are about to vote. On the impeachment I was just gonna say, of the U.S. president, as we're speaking right now, and what's and he, I, I got to say? There's this part of me that wonders what's going to happen
0: with some of those people who supported him, and some of those people who like d- destroyed the Capitol building. What's going to happen when they wake up and realize, oh my God, I've been following a
1: con man. Mm-hmm. Like I gave
0: up everything for a con man. There, there's going to there's going to be some repercussions there too. I would think.
1: <laughs> Let's hope that yeah. they wake up. Yeah. Because yeah. right now there's some real fears about safety during oh, it's, the inauguration it's, on the 20th of January. Really, really, f- it's
0: so frightening. It's mm-hmm. frightening to watch from afar, you know, like, mm-hmm. that's my country.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm, yeah, I'm, right.
0: I'm grateful I'm here. And I should also say I'm grateful that I live in a country with socialized medicine. Because yes. my son eventually did get the help he needed and we paid for it through our taxes, you know.
1: It's, it's interesting because when I first found out that Noah was in the hospital for that long, I thought to myself, "That is um, would not happen yep. in the U.S. because the insurance companies would not have allowed that." Yep,
0: and that's yep, that's and- a that's a crying shame mm-hmm. because it yeah. takes it can take so long to get things right. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing is, there were kids that we met um, who had been. In the hospital, numerous times. Like,
1: yes.
0: I mean, I mean, Noah had two stays; they were pretty close together. Who knows? Maybe there'll be another one. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I just. At least I know if he went back again, we would know what to do, because the second time we we were way more proactive than the first time. Mm-hmm. The first time we were like, mm-hmm. we didn't know what we were doing. We just mm-hmm. assumed everybody else was the experts. The second time we got way more, and we were way also invited advocates. to be involved the second time. The first time we weren't, there were some balls mm-hmm. dropped the first time around. So mm-hmm. that was part of the problem.
1: It was yeah, weird. Oh. I, I was going to say, I'm sure our audience, um, I mean, we all, uh, the dirty little secret is uh, we all have mental illness in our families and that's just the, you know, that's the fact of life. Um, and and I think it would be helpful for our audience to read more about your experience. Where can they find your New York Times article and where can they learn more about you? Oh,
0: okay. So the article was called, um, how COVID-19 and power tools helped heal my relationship with my son it's on the new york times website it mm-hmm. appeared in october it's also on uh my webpage, which is um just www.debbywaldman.com and debbie is with a y d-e-b-b-y yeah. and and then i have a a twitter a twitter account which is debbie with a y jw 1122 um and uh and and it'd be great if uh people went and and looked at that cuz I feel like mm-hmm. I I post some funny things and I want more people to see uh, <laughs> Not just knitted socks. No, not just knitted socks. <laughs> Lately I've been posting my by uh my scrabble tiles. Like last night I was uh, yeah, last night I was playing scrabble and like every tile was like sending a subliminal message about <laughs> Donald Trump. I saw that and I thought,
1: <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was it was mild, though. I I thought, you know, what was it like? Ogre lies, and lies. And eyes. <laughs> lies. lies, with o- a lot of eyes. That's right. I thought <laughs> ogre was a uh, very generous, but you know, you you're not supposed yeah. to be using profanity. Oh, and, and rig, rig, rig. I, like, I
0: thought that was pretty really funny. Rig and exit. It's like okay, the
1: election was not rigged, and now you are going to exit. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just. I, was, I think you should. You Instead of doing Scrabble, maybe you should write uh, paragraphs. Yep. With your, I, was your having,
0: I was having so much fun. And Noah said, Noah's like, Mom, if you post that, don't mention my name. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to because I'm the one who got all the funny letters.
1: So oh, there you go. Oh my gosh. So. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh. And. Uh, letting us in and and helping us understand um, your experience because I'm hoping that more and more the stigma is lifted. I think that that is going to happen as people are um, dealing with the pandemic and the politics and there's going to be no other choice to be open about it to no, be open so and important. address it because yeah. you know as you probably know with your own research the suicide rate has gone up something like 200% yeah. Yeah. And
0: S- yep and yep yeah. it's really it's for quite that's quite it's frightening a and also health, it's a
1: crisis
0: and it, and there's yeah. a, the um overdose overdoses have
1: have increased tremendously you and and drinking and yeah yeah, i mean people are not just knitting socks no um or making uh, cutting boards or making cutting (laughs) boards or 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 binging pbs uh cooking shows as i am oh i should try doing that so that's it's a it's a cocoon of comfort and loveliness and then you can make yourself a little Beautiful tea, and you're just in your, you know, your little cozy, cozy (gasps) world. I might have to go make myself some tea now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, hey, so Nicole, no, this has been, thank you so much for having me.
1: Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out Cope Notes dot com forward slash Zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. um, And I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff.